0: Welcome to Newsworthy with Norisworthy. Get ready for some awesome. All right, friends, welcome back. To-
1: Get ready for some awesome.
0: Well, friends, you know, it's been a while. Well, Johnny's back on the podcast. and uh, I like that you didn't react
1: this time. It, You're just like, this might as well happen. It, it
0: might as, yeah, I mean, it's kind of like I don't even need to cower anymore. It's like, yeah, I'm going to. This abuse, and then we're just gonna keep going, keep going.
1: Uh, Abuse, like it's you know, I feel sorry for is the woman at your church who you talked into doing this so many years ago. Why? She has to hear herself say, you know, things like "you're now adjourned" every week, and (laughs) I bet there's some self-loathing and resentment that comes in with. No,
0: that her her name is Jennifer Green, and I just talked to her. The other see. Josh Ross is... Nope, that's Josh Graves. Um, I just talked to her the other day uh, uh, about some Enneagram stuff, and I feel like she really celebrates that this is part of her legacy, that she's the get-ready-for-some-awesome person. I mean, she is the mother of two wonderful children and done plenty of other things, but
1: I feel like this... But this is her legacy. I feel like... I mean, it's not a bad one. As someone who often resents that I've been able to be talked into so much stuff by you, I think Jennifer and I would have some things in common. Hmm. Like what? Just that we resent being talked into stuff no. by you.
0: You know what the internet told me. I I didn't mean to do this, but I went on iTunes and I was getting the link to the uh, like the Tom Wright podcast that I was going to put out on social media, and I was on my computer and I think the, the way iTunes is set up now, I didn't notice this, but it has like the most recent reviews just when you turn on the iTunes when you get to the podcast page, and so I I read a review that someone recently posted about the podcast. And it said that I am too mean to my guests and I make fun of them. And I yeah. I feel like that was probably from you. You probably posted that. But you know what's weird is that Tom... <laughs> it's common knowledge, no, but I didn't post no, it. No, uh, Tom Wright referred to me as one of his friends. and Oh my I've goodness, never, you're, already, you're just
1: jumping right I, in I, there. Like I've never
0: made fun of so, him. I've never made fun of him. <laughs> yeah. And he refers to me as a friend. So I feel like as a counterfactual example of this uh, suggestion, Tom Wright would disagree with you.
1: Okay, a couple of things. One, Tom Wright is British, and British people are like Canadians. They're very, very polite. And so when he referred to you very generically <laughs> as... My friends had to talk me into writing book projects, and you just, <laughs> I, I saw you reframe that so quickly. Yeah, friends, yes, friends. Uh, so uh, as one of your fr- friends... <laughs> <laughs> just trying to center that part of the conversation as quickly as possible. Yeah, you jumped on that so quickly. I I feel like you you really.
0: If you could see the nonverbals, he was basically hugging me with his eyes. He's like, "Hey, come here, bro." Like doing one of those bro hugs, like you know, the hand and the three taps on the shoulder. Like he was doing that to me with his eyes, just like, "Hey, we're we're tight, man."
1: Do you remember what Stanley Hudson says to Michael Scott when Michael's trying to get? him to listen to the phone call from jen levinson gold it's in the pauses <laughs> he tells michael scott it's what she's not saying mm. that's where you can tell she really loves you because stanley's trying to get a promotion or really? a raise yeah that's that's you no that's not you're, me at all you're trying to tell us it's in the pauses it's in It was in his eyes where he was saying he really loved me. It's in
0: the pause. No, I don't think that's the case. That's not the
1: case at all. Um, What did happen though? There was a um,
0: a special time, and you know, Tom. Tom and I have shared a lot of things together. Um, Yeah, sure. We've water, for example. Yeah, yeah. There was that. I mean, he didn't know that, of course. The longer I get away from that story, the creepier it sounds. I know
1: it does. Oh God, give us a double portion of your spirit that you've poured out on Tom Wright as a sacrament. We shall drink his water after he leaves the room. Did it in Jesus' name? Did we both drink it, or yeah, we yeah. both drank his water. It was that fancy hotel uh, no. in what was it, Swanee? What's the name of that? University of the South Sw- is it the name of the place? The South University of the South. Yeah. So, but they had that hotel with the nice wood silverware and yeah
0: mahogany. Would. Yeah. Uh, the story is the books. first podcast that we ever did together, um, old Tom Wright and I, uh, was accompanied. Uh, I was accompanied by Jonathan Stormont. And we were at set up this place. Someone brought us some waters for our interview time. And afterward, when, uh, when Dr. Wright had left the room, yeah. Brother Tom. Uh, yeah. You, you referred to him as Brother Tom, which was one of the more. Em- I'm not saying I was embarrassed of you, but I was embarrassed for you.
1: <laughs> i think he found it endearing
0: if you had to rank the people who would least like to be referred to as brother so-and-so that have been on the podcast uh i don't know if you could get anyone who would dislike that more than erwin mcmanus really
1: i feel like who called it i didn't call no
0: him I, I like i'm just thinking that would be a person who'd be like why'd you do because here's why i know that um I met him in person at the Hills Men's Conference a couple years ago. Uh, We recorded there. And I had just met Bob Goff. And Bob Goff, like you first meet him, and it's like he's going to pick you up and carry you around in his arms. Oh, yeah, sure. He's like super friendly. And so I just met him and like gregarious, hugging everyone. And then so I meet uh, uh, Erwin and I I go to give him a bro hug and he clearly was not in for the bro hug at all. I was like, Oh, this
1: is... Gives you the bar? The elbow bar? No,
0: like, he just kind of was like, all right, just let's get over this. Which is fine. Like, you don't need to be a hugger. That's not... That's... I would not have done that. But I'm just saying I had so much hugging that had been happening because of the, the vortex <laughs> of Bob Goff. I just naturally did that. And, you know... He, he hasn't wanted to come back on the podcast since. I don't know if it's a restraining order or not, but it
1: wasn't my... No, you've done a podcast with him since then, haven't you? No, I don't think so. For some reason, I thought you had. Hmm, No. Well, no. Well, uh,
0: let's. Uh, so, we're going to talk about a couple podcasts today. Um, let's just jump right into old Tom Wright since we're talking about him already.
1: All right. So, I, I thought that was one of the best podcasts you've done, mainly because of him. Yeah, I mean that's uh, that's true. He, he I, I, man, it's so great. His stuff on Sabbath and Jesus being the Sabbath. Mm-hmm. I will give you rest. His stuff on Sabbath is new creation, like um, inauguration. They can track every Sabbath. Yeah. Ugh. How
0: how Man, would you, that, that'll preach? How, okay, my question was how how would you preach that? Have it? Have you already thought about how you would use that in a way that I, I get for the Jewish people, like this is um, revelatory that you know Sabbath is now Jesus. But how would you preach that to most of us who Sabbath seems like something that's like antiquated and something that's not even like part of our day-to-day existence?
1: Well, first off, I don't think it is antiquated. I think it needs to be part of our daily existence. I didn't say it was. I said it our, feels like it to some. Uh, yeah, you know, you're right, I, get, I get that. So the, I would say one of the things I would do and try to do in my ministry is get people doing Sabbath. Um, but the, the big point there to me is that religion is sign. It's signpost. And what was his line? You don't need um, a signpost to this way to New York City in the middle of Times Square. Yep. And Jesus is saying, like, I am what all the signs are pointing to. Stop talking about religion when I'm right here with you and you don't need the signs when the reality is here. Um, I mean, that preaches, right? hmm Like, uh, church, religion, all the things that we kind of do, these spiritual disciplines and practices that really do matter – they only matter as means to an end. They are not the end, and when you make them the means, you become a legalist. Mm-hmm. You become a, um, you know. Y- you miss the heart of God. Yeah. You you become so focused on getting things right that you wind up not recognizing God when He's in your midst. You're someone. You know? Yeah. You're someone who's pretty
0: committed to having your Sabbath practice. It's, there are many times I've been annoyed because I try to text your call. And you're like, oh yeah, this, this is his day. Uh, so how do you then understand what you're doing with that spiritual practice of practicing Sabbath with that understanding of Jesus as the true Sabbath?
1: Huh, I haven't gotten there yet. I mean, okay. I just listened to the podcast a couple of days ago. But um, I guess for, for me, I mean, I'm not, I'm not I've never thought of what we do on Friday as man this is real this is a real burden. Mm-hmm. It's always a great joy. I mean a great joy. When I tur- when I turn my phone off on Thursday evening there's just li- lightness comes on me and our house and you know the the phone I couldn't even find it on most Fridays. Mm-hmm. Um I know Leslie and I are going to have time to ourselves that's special. I'm gonna be building Legos or playing with the kids and um so for me it's just a real time of joy. Um and I would I would say that it's, that would be an easy connection to it's a signpost. It's pointing to, pointing to that um uh, the future when everything is set right and Yeah, you
0: yeah. Uh, Since I'm trying not to make fun of my friends, I'm not going to say that you said you're going to (laughs) play with Legos or play with your kids, which would infer that you just play with Legos by yourself. (laughs) And I'm not going to do that because I don't make fun of my friends.
1: Hey, listen, Legos doing real good work these days. (laughs) I don't know if you're paying attention. (laughs) I was buying Legos for, uh, it was a birthday present for one of our boys, and uh, me and another kid were in Target or something looking for them, and this, like, 55 year old man came up to me all by himself and was saying, "Have you checked out the Marvel collection?" <laughs> and after after a while of talking to him, I realized this dude, this is what he does yeah. and there's no kid involved. Mm-mm. He just anyway so I, I'm not that guy, although I do enjoy building Legos with my kids
0: Okay, can speaking of Marvel this is a complete tangent is is the joker he's not Marvel he's the different one, right? He's DC, DC. Yeah. God grief. I'm sorry. Fate
1: Haygood would just
0: I'm sorry to offend you. Be rolling his eyes. Oh. Yeah. Have you seen Joker yet? I have. I'm going to spoil. If you haven't seen it like fast forward give it... No, no, don't. I haven't seen it. Is it super dark? Okay, if you haven't seen it, I'm not going to talk about it now. Undo the spoiler. We're not going to talk about it if you haven't seen it yet. Okay. Yeah, I had a lot of I have commentary on it I wanted to share with you, but uh, you haven't seen it, so we won't. But okay, let's get back to Is it dark? Is it super dark? Yeah, I feel like if you watch the like even 10 seconds of the trailer, you get that. Is it darker than the dark night? Don't take your kids to it, is what I'm saying.
1: You... I, w- I got I was taking uh, Samuel and Joel to the Adams family the other day and I got up to the ticket thing and I said three for the Joker, please. And the guy like <laughs> lost his mind. <laughs> he, he thought I was serious and no no sir. They It's <laughs> <laughs> really funny. Okay.
0: Uh, <laughs> Tom Wright, uh, Lego's Sabbath. Um, okay, so one of the things that he did in that, uh, in his book, which, I, again, his, his concept about temple, uh, what temple is to space, Sabbath is the time, and the idea that it is the inauguration mm-hmm. of the new heavens and the new earth, this is the new creation, and we have these little signposts that are pointing us to that. One of the, That's right. One of the things he said uh, after that is the first century Jewish Christian audience wouldn't probably all connect the dots on this. And that this idea is when we read history, read text in reverse. And so we have the ability, the hindsight, to go back and read all this stuff in light of what was going to happen and what did happen that they didn't understand. If it wasn't my friend Tom saying... That rolls right off the tongue. If it wasn't my good pal Tom, my compatriot, my... (laughs) Uh, my confidant, Tom... You're going to do this? Your confidant? Yeah. What have you confided in, Tom? A lot of stuff. You don't know what we said before we went on there. <laughs> but me and my old pal Tommy, if it wasn't him saying this, I would go, isn't it a little bit precarious that 2,000 years later, you have an insight about what a Jewish perspective on this would be if they themselves didn't have that perspective, right? It, it, se- it mm-hmm. seems troubling. Yeah. But I... The, the positive side is the idea that the spirit is continuing to be at work. God is still continuing to yeah. be alive, and is God continues to reveal who God is to us in ongoing ways that flesh us out in in fresh ways for us to see that maybe was missed before.
1: Yeah, uh, maybe so. And part of part of I think every age has this where you know you're in, you don't recognize the water that you're swimming in too. Yeah, you know so. The Pharisees obviously think that the problem that they've got is um, holiness related and um, the temple can't be trusted because the Maccabean you know what happened to the Maccabees with the temple being polluted so they're going to push temple regulations down in everybody's home and they get tunnel vision for that mm-hmm. so their their my, their idea of what the temple is supposed to be is really more related to Keeping God from getting ticked off at their lack of holiness. This is why Jesus's main verses: "I desire mercy, not sacrifice." Mm-hmm. Um, the so, I, but I, I think every every generation misses the mark. They just don't. They can't tell where where it is they're missing it. I don't know that we've arrived and have some you know perfect viewpoint to be able to understand all this. But if anybody, has, it's Tom Wright, <laughs> yeah, if anyone,
0: you know what no, I mean? No, I, I completely uh, agree with that.
1: And I, I I feel like I feel like it's different than like uh the Church of Christ theology we grew up with, like, and in the nineteen fifties we figured it all out. Here's the pattern, do this and God will be happy. I think it's different in the sense that Tom Wright and people like E. P. Sanders and Dunn and Scott McKnight and those people have done the serious historical legwork. To take seriously not just first-century Judaism and you know that stuff, but the generations before it and after it, and kind of what does that make yep, sense? Yep. Um, I feel like they're they're very historically grounded, not and they know their own biases. Agreed, and at least to some extent.
0: And I like that you disassociated it from. There's obviously a unhealthy hermeneutic that. Especially in our tradition, that we've seen them. Oh, we've figured out we've mm-hmm. arrived. There, there's that attitude of, hey, we're the enlightened ones. We've got it all figured out. And there's another one to say that yeah. we believe that God continues to reveal who God is to us. And that this yeah. process of revelation was fully done in the person of Jesus, but we continue to understand exactly what that meant as God's spirit still is involved in leading God's community, i.e., the church.
1: And there's some epistemological humility. That's a Rainy Harris line. Mm-hmm. That I I see in people like Tom Wright, you know I've heard him say, I I know I'm at least I'm wrong on at least twenty percent of the stuff I believe. The problem is I don't 20% know what twenty percent. Is, yeah. yeah, and I I like that. I think I'm at least wrong that much. Um, yeah, and I'd agree. I just I, so I I and shut up. <laughs> I enjoy changing my mind. I enjoy like learning new ideas and being challenged, yeah. because. I feel like you're beating back darkness and it's just epistemological humility.
0: Yeah. Everyone has some percent that they're definitely wrong on. We none of us just know what it is. Now I've also heard Randy say, uh yeah, you can trust eighty percent of that what that guy said. Uh, I was asking about some author and he goes, Yeah, you can trust eighty percent, which makes me feel pretty good since he says that about himself too. Yeah, sure. That's right. Trust eighty percent. Yeah, that's yeah, that's good. It, I heard uh, someone tell me a story about a uh, preacher who, on a Sunday morning, told the congregation, "Hey, I've said a bunch of stuff on this subject matter, and I'm wrong. I, I don't think we're going to change our practice right now. But I just want to say, want to say, I've said this a lot, and I've come to realize I was wrong about that. And yeah, sorry. That's all, I, that's all. I'm not. We're not changing practice because of it. I just need to say I'm sorry. I think that's a great posture that."
1: Yeah. I would like to think... I did do that a couple of times at Highland. Really? Uh, yeah, of course. Just Like um, what? Okay, so I, one example, I, I used it several times because it was such a perfect example of me being wrong, but after I read Deep and Wide by Andy Stanley, that question, who is church for? Yep. Boy, I got a lot of mileage out of that. Loved who is church for. I've, you, I've even shared this on here. I've heard you say it a bunch. And... Well, Jeff Childers, it, when I asked him that, thinking I was going to pants Jeff Childers. He said God. Not us or them, Yeah, it's, it's God. Short answer, God. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh man, that's the right answer, and I was way off. No. And and I do think, I still think the church is the only institution that exists for the people who don't belong to her, but not first. First, we exist for God. What, when you, We're the yeah, bride of Christ. When you said that, when
0: which I, again, I love uh, that JC, Jeff Childers answer. It's a great answer. When you said that, yeah. how do you think, what was the type of response that you got from people who were going, oh, my preacher said this, he said he said it a bunch of times, and now he's saying, yeah, that answer wasn't good or wasn't the best. Um,
1: I don't know. I think at Highland, a lot of people were like, yeah, he was wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think anybody has, I don't think anybody had problems with me being wrong. No. At least he knows it. Um, <laughs> yeah, maybe that's a different... But, D-
0: different contexts yeah, well, would I, respond and I don't, differently. I don't mean
1: that. Sure. Uh, but I, I do think changing your mind is a hallmark of growth. And, you know, being a, being able to entertain an idea without embracing it is also a, a good sign of being able to yep. grow. So. But I loved, man, I loved NT I feel like Westover would do well if you just hit play on that podcast and let them. Let him hear that for the sermon. This that's Sunday. weird
0: because I actually am playing the part where he calls me one of his friends.
1: That's going to be my new intro oh my to every every sermon. That's your that's your title package yeah. for every sermon. It's going to be Tom Wright. <laughs> oh man!
0: What if, Oh gosh.
1: <laughs> uh, you should on on your next book on the book jacket on the back. You should Luke Northworthy is a friend. N.T. right? <laughs> see, see what. Oh, you're, that, <laughs> That's how the publishing industry actually kind of does work.
0: Uh, It puts stuff like that on there. Uh, So maybe maybe I will. Maybe I will. Okay, let's talk about other books that have been recently published. Um, You want to talk about uh, Jeremy Courtney or Mr. Pacific Northwest, John Mark Comer, first?
1: So I guess I have a... uh, Let's do Jeremy Courtney first. I have a question. I didn't understand some of what was happening because I don't think, like, is the book about him being betrayed by his best friend? The is that what he's writing about? Uh, y- yes, that.
0: Yeah, there was someone who was very close to him uh, over there in Iraq, who was a partner. Uh, that I mean, they they did a, a ton together, very close, and yeah, the person turned on him over there and
1: betrayed him. Yeah. So a friend stabbed him in the back. I can relate to that. No, I'm just just saying. I'm not talking. It's a much more relatable book now. No. So, all
0: that was for that. The, that the big, you set that up, and no, it really.
1: I really didn't know what. <laughs> Here's the, here, uh, what once you were answering the question, I thought I'm going to make this joke, but I really didn't know what the, uh, well, I, book was. about. I was kind
0: of debating this part, but in the original, like the galley of the book that was sent to me, which is not the final version of it, it actually had this person's name, but then, uh, he. You know, he changes, and I think he says that in the book that he changes a lot of names of, which is a, a typical thing that many authors do. Yeah, sure. But it's also a picture of there's different realities of him telling a story over there and the complications that can come from something like that. Oh, sure. To where you have someone's name in your book and it, it...
1: was the guy that did it a believer, like a Christian, or was he somebody who was just a NGO partner? Yeah, that's a good question. I don't. He probably says it in the book, but I don't don't remember it. It's been a little while since we had that one. So your question that you asked him I thought was a good one about, it just seems so unrelatable, the life that people like Jeremy Courtney and Shane Claiborne, and who was your other example? Um, Uh, Jared McKinnon. Oh, you're, yeah. Um, To, you know, middle class, parent, you got kids, you're just trying to, help them, help disciple them, keep... Yeah. What what does it look like for for someone with a
0: yeah. traditional... And none of them would ever say, oh, everyone has to do all these things. And I loved his, his sure. response of, that's not what we're trying to do, but you get that, right?
1: Oh, totally. I remember reading The Irresistible Revolution uh, back when I was like 24 years old. Uh, we were working at the hills together at the same time, I think. Hmm. And just how do you... How do you do this? Because it feels right. It feels like a good Jesus-y thing to do. Um, And then having that question from my buddies. I remember Matt Pinson. You know Matt. Mm -hmm. um, He's basically a single dad at the time because Christine was in the hospital with health stuff all the time. And he's reading Irresistible Revolution and he's just feeling so guilty because he's not going to Iraq to... Uh, and I, I remember thinking to him, hey, or saying to him, hey man, I think you're doing a pretty good job being faithful and showing the love of God to the world yeah. by the way you're taking care of your family right now. Yeah. You know, so it's not as dramatic, but it's just as faithful. Yeah. No, I... I
0: Yeah, I think there's a similar effect like when you come back from like short-term quote, like mission trip. Mm-hmm, sure. You come back and you're like, oh, I'm, I'm yeah. never going to do it and then, I, you know, I'm going to, never spend money on anything and i'm i'm gonna Mm -hmm. radically change my life and then you stop at the rainforest cafe on your way home you're like yeah okay this is this is my normal (laughs) this is what i'm gonna do uh yeah Yeah. but it's kind of like a that's a very specific
1: example that sounds like something that actually happened to you
0: (laughs) no i just like the rainforest cafe is like a tip like it's a it's a very american experience where it's like you think you're (laughs) in a rainforest because you're at like this Plastic and whatever, whatever. Anyway, it's just a yeah,
1: and you are actually killing the rainforest by eating exactly,
0: there. exactly, exactly. Yeah, but it's a literary sure. effect. The literary effect of those stories because they're so radically different. Instead of, I think, what they're calling yeah. us to do is like figure out what it means for you to to love anyway where you are and to support things like this around the world. And he, so we had this conversation about mission boards, and part of the narrative that he tells is you know, the mission board, the pastor back home didn't really get it. And in some ways, like that pastor, even though I don't think Jeremy is trying to set him up this way, he's kind of like the the villain in his story where you have a person at the the big church back in Texas who doesn't have an ability to accept the counterfactual reports that Jeremy's giving. And so the question was like, what do you do for them? Like, how do you, those of us back here, we're the ones receiving that information. How do we have the mental flexibility to go, okay, this is a lot different than what I imagined, but I trust that the God who we saw in you that made us feel called to support you is still working in you, even though this is a lot different than what I saw.
1: So here's the great thing about Churches of Christ. In theory, in practice, we're horrible at it, generally. Um, And this is inside baseball for Church of Christ people, but we all say we're autonomous, right? Right. Um, I took a ton of missions classes at Harding because I was going to do missions, and um, this is the thing that we're so bad at. It, you can you can tell we're bad at it when you walk into any Church of Christ, if they're still in existence in the Northeast or on, on the West Coast or whatever. You can walk into those churches, and you can say, oh, this was planted from Oklahoma circa 1965, and you can almost get it right every single time because... They and and it's not just there. You go to different parts of the, you know, Southeast Asia, for example. And I remember actually talking about one time a missionary in the Ukraine got approached by a Ukraine a Church Christ person that said, What is your position on Jubilee? Which is that conference Mike Cope started <laughs> that was somewhat controversial, a Nashville conference had become a dividing issue of fellowship in the Ukraine, which is, I mean, it, I think it's the same principle Jeremy Courtney's getting at. We're taking these ideas that don't have any, they don't, we're, we're trying to transplant a tree instead of taking seeds. Mm.
0: Yeah. That's good. I like that. I, and I think that's an accurate de- description of it. And, an unwillingness to see things that are going to look different than what we started with. And that's sure. You see that from someone who lives in Iraq and comes back to Texas, but even from generation to generation, I I know when my kids Uh uh, are 30 or 40 and I'm looking at the way that 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 generation wants to do church, I'm going like, that's, that's not how
1: it's supposed to be. That's not how it's, I I think it should look. Uh And you know what I've been getting a lot of mileage out of here in Little Rock with? Phyllis Tickle's great emergence, her every 500 years. There's the a rummage, church has sale, a rummage yeah. sale. Yeah. I think the generational divides are so stark right now because of that. What do you mean? You know, because it, it's. Uh, well, I mean, it's. Church of Christ grew up in modernity. So we, we're booming in the 50s. We've got all the answers. Approach the Bible like a scientific method. You know, um, there's a blueprint. Just do the blueprint. You're good. Certainty. And then, you know, so there, there's this season of rapid growth. And then now, uh, our age and younger are all post modernity. So we're just, we want, we want, we, re- it's not just that we want mystery, it's that we realize how much of life and especially theology and God is mysterious, like beyond human understanding. And to come into a conversation where people say they claim to have all the answers, it just, doesn't ring true. Yeah. No. I mean, is that no, fair? I don't. So I've been getting mileage out of the the every five hundred years like this is normal, but the generation gap that is twenty years really feels more like a hundred and twenty years.
0: Because they just think so much differently. I would love so I would love
1: for someone who
0: could analyze if the change really from generation to generation because of post-modernity and modernity is really that stark. Or part of me is suspicious and we think everyone thinks that they're so much different than the generations before them. And maybe sure. Phil take is right. And in some ways, she is that person or she was that person because she writes as someone who is a few generations above those who grew up in Modernity. So she saw it. So I guess maybe that's a, a fair observation that she can make. From, yeah.
1: Yeah. I, well, I, I thought it was helpful then and, and especially helpful to me now mm-hmm. trying to explain... You know, kind of, because the post-denominational world is is just recently hitting Arkansas, and so a lot of a lot of the people that are here are scratching their heads, wondering, well, now why aren't our twenties going to church? Our thirties they they graduated from Harding or ACU or Lipscomb, and and they came to our churches, and now they're they're asking these questions that I don't know. Me and you lived with for the last. 15, 16 years. Yep. That... So I'm... Do you
0: remember on Back to the Future when like, his thing was he was going to go steal like a sports <laughs> almanac
1: and so he knows all the answers and he can bet yeah. on them?
0: Do you get to do that in Arkansas? Yeah. You're like, hey, guess what?
1: I've, it does feel a lot like that. It feels a lot like that. And I, I hope that doesn't come across patronizing, but it's just like... Uh, and I remember being at ACU and hearing them say within the last three or four years, man... I feel like the world that we dealt with twenty years ago is just now when we would talk about like a Harding, mm-hmm. um, which is a Church of Christ university. For those of you that are not familiar, that Luke and I both I went to. only for a year, um,
0: nine months on campus.
1: I found a picture of you um, there as well, and it is a wonderful picture that I can't wait to share on social mm. media at some point. I'm holding it out as hostage. So, but anyway, they they were just saying this is why. We could we could help because this is why what this is why the, the betrayal yeah. this is why the betrayal happened. All right, come on. Anyway, <laughs> so just that world, that world that um, yeah. it's not surprising. Gotcha. You know, it's not a surprising thing that's happening. So when
0: we think of worlds that are very similar to Central Arkansas, let's talk about the Pacific Northwest.
1: Very similar. Very, oh man, it's very similar. Hearing. Ge- Hearing John Comer talk, it's like, wow. He gets me. It's Yeah. Did you? Actually, he does yeah. get me. Orthodox Rob Bell? Yeah. Life goal? Check. <laughs> yeah.
0: The uh, restraining order. Mm, not so much check. He, he has this thing about uh, the one of the biggest threats for the American church is li- progressive theology. Figured you would enjoy that. Did he say it's that? It's in the book. I don't know if he said it on the
1: podcast as well, but
0: yeah, I figured you'd like that as well.
1: What's he talking about with progressive theology? That can mean a lot of things. I don't know. He, I, I want. That sounds like a dog whistle for conservatives. I, I don't know. I don't know where he was going with it. It can mean whatever you. It seems. It seems like uh, a harsh
0: statement to make. But I didn't get to talk to him about. it. But what we did get to talk about was all this slow down and not hurry anymore. And the idea. I, I know some people. You listen to that podcast and you go. Oh, goodness, you're a highly successful person in your early 30s. Woe is you? Oh, my goodness, your church grew so fast. Man, life must be so hard. <laughs> What's it like? Like, it's the equivalent of like a, um, you know, like the pastoral equivalent of someone saying, you know what? I've got so many cars. It's just like, I don't know. Do I drive my truck? Do I, <laughs> do I drive the Tesla? Do I drive, you know, it's just like, woe is you? You know, like,
1: yeah. Who tough cares? Life. It's a tough no. life. He struck me as a really genuine person. I've actually never read any of his books. I, I've opened them a couple of times and immediately thought, oh, you're doing the Rob Bell thing with the... the font and the spacing. The one-word sentences and, yeah. The- I hadn't I had read him before. It was... Uh, obviously, I noticed that. I know, I know Josh Ross loves his, uh, loves his I, books. I, yeah,
0: I see why people... I see why there are thousands of people that want to listen to that guy preach every Sunday. Uh, he, I mean, he's very compelling, very gifted. And... I, Hates the Enneagram. He, I mean, let's just be honest. He's just a four. Like, all Enneagrams four like to act that way. Oh, no, no, no. no. That's, you can't type me. I'm original. I can't fit in that box. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I wanted to say that, but I was like, that's just too rude. And because, yeah, because he told you that story about the priest. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. I, yeah. I've, that's funny. I, I, I could see a four answering that way. Well, yeah. I've. What do you, what do you say? Talked about weaponizing the Enneagram? Yeah.
0: Which is weird, but if he ever says that again, I'm going to send Ian Cron to go kick him in the knee. No, I'm kidding. Like, it's fair. Like, there are obviously abuses of the Enneagram. It's nice for him to remind us of that. Sure. And I think, you know, Ian, Suzanne, you know, all the Enneagram teachers that uh, we follow would say the same thing. Yeah. Sure.
1: Um, so the, the thing about the angst of being a successful kind of, you know, preacher having thousands of people come um, I, th- when I was listening to that there was a part of me that was like oh wow what a heavy burden to bear but you know what the more he talked the more I was like no I get this I yep. understand this I bet I mean before I left Highland and Highland is not 7,000 people or anything like that but it, it's a successful church that was a you know it was a good place to work at and um, it's but before I left Hy- I was going to say like that that is a a similarity
0: I mean the notoriety and the influence of being at the Highland Church of Christ um is unparalleled with most churches of Christ, and yeah I think you it's fair to say you made a similar step down that in a you know traditional status
1: definition of it yeah so did he leave the church that he planted and and is doing something else? No, now? I think it was one of the
0: campuses, and he kind of took over the camp, a smaller campus. So it's still kind of mm. the same
1: church, but it's also kind of not. Okay, yeah, I I do think. I mean, I remember at Highland my last year reading like uh, Richard Rohr's, um, what's his, the Falling Upward stuff, midlife crisis book. Yeah, Falling Upward, and Halftime by Bob Buford, and all those cause it was like the 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 same energy i think he used the term first life energy the same energy that i had just didn't seem to be the reservoir was drying up for i didn't really care about the stuff that i used to care care about um you know trying to make make my mark on the world or whatever started thinking more about other stuff and like making my mark on my kids or with my family, yeah. um, maybe going deeper, not wider.
0: Yeah. yeah. You know, Rollheiser's language of, you know, you wanna gain your life and then eventually the work becomes how to let go of your life, how to, how to acquire uh, in the first half, how to, in some ways, it's like you build the bucket in the first half and the second half, you're dumping everything out. And I think yeah. that's natural. And I think when you get a great deal of success early on, it changes you this and, and rob bell talked about the same thing speaking of rob where you know early on he got a lot of success and then he said you know early on when if you get a lot of success you learn early on that this isn't the stuff that matters there's the old thomas Merton line of um you know you you lean your uh ladder up against the wall only to find out that the ladder you've been climbing is placed up against the wrong wall and that's right that, no that's right that's the first half of life is you're trying for something and you know, the frustrating thing is when it doesn't happen and everyone else goes, oh. So it's like no one has sympathy when you have jet lag from coming back from Hawaii. You're like, oh, yeah, you're in Hawaii, jet lag, who cares? But you're still tired. Like, you're still exhausted. And even if what you got to ascend to is every definition of what uh, success is in the American definition of church, it's still it's still a wall that's not going to get you over and fill you up in the way that you
1: thought it was. yeah. How's this played out in your life, man? Um,
0: talking about my feelings. Um, next subject. Um, <laughs> Both of them? No, yeah. Hungry, tired. No, it's not either of those. The. <laughs> I think the like even on the podcast, like what it was to me at the beginning mm-hmm. is different than what it is now, and yeah, the what I wanted it for at the beginning. Or I I guess it wasn't really in the beginning because I didn't think it could ever become something that gave me the access to what it was. Yeah, yeah, to to the opportunities I have now. When first, like it it was just, hey, this would be fun to do it, and then I was like, oh wow, this is a neat thing, and I wanted to keep it up, and I wanted to, uh, you know, focus on okay, you know, when am I on the charge? You know, where am I on the charge? You know, how how many downloads? All this kind of stuff. That there was a little while where I cared. You're right. You don't talk about that stuff
1: anymore. I I remember. Two or three years ago, you would work numbers into a lot of conversations where numbers didn't belong, and you haven't done that in a long time. It's, it, whatever. I don't know about that. No. I don't know if you know this, but um, <laughs> we were on the new and notable list yeah. on iTunes or pl- top 50. Pl- what, what was the highest number you ever got to? I mean, it Top fifty of Christianity
0: religion. It doesn't or matter. It doesn't matter. I mean, top thirty is of all religion, not just Christianity. But it doesn't matter. <laughs> but the, <laughs> I
1: knew if I floated out misinformation, you're going to correct it. The
0: but the thing is, like even news and notable, like the new and notable on iTunes, you realize that that is just a like it's a junk system. Like it is all a racket the way that they do that. And sure. there's there's ways to game it to get on. And part of the the novelty of like that kind of success is you see how empty it is. And like the New York Times bestseller list, which I have not been on by any means, but you, when you realize it, it's <laughs> literally just two guys in a room in New York, as I've been told, who just arbitrarily pick these books. Like I, I've had friends who- No, wait. Yes. Doesn't have to be like how many are sold? I've had friends who've had enough numbers to be on the list and who have actually had higher numbers than people below them on- uh, like the publisher weekly count or something like that. Um but what? it is there's a degree of arbitrariness to it that you go uh Nuh-uh. like and that is the thing, like New York Times bestseller list is like that is the primo award that any author can get. That's
1: why I wasn't on the but New York Times bestseller that list. That is it. That is the only reason.
0: <sighs> but but that is oh that is the
1: game. The system is rigged. You're right. It is. It that's
0: the game is like you see all this stuff and you go, Well, that's not really that Im- impressive. And you go, it, it, you know, y- y- it's like you see a guy at the gym and you're like, oh, that guy's all jacked. And then you realize, oh, that's because he's on steroids. And the reason he looks like that is yeah. because it's artificial. A- and in some ways, a lot of those things that we chase after early on in life, you realize that's that doesn't matter. And that's why you're saying what matters more is now you making a mark and investing in your family and your kids because you go, there's nothing artificial about this. This this is what,
1: yeah. what it's all about. Now, I, I think... And and on some level I feel like I want to make my life my argument. Does that make sense? Hmm. I, I want I want um you can preach about Jesus doing downward mobility all day long. What was that thing that Soren Kierkegaard said? It is a very different thing to uh take up your cross and be crucified for the sins of the world. Than to get paid fifty thousand dollars a year to talk about a man who took up a cross to get crucified for the sins of the world and and I get um I get that our calling is you know this ministry is it is also a noble calling as well and i'm I'm very grateful for a church that's willing to yeah. pay me to do that, but closing the gap between those two realities I think is important. Yeah, if you're going to talk about Jesus, you got to make your life your argument as well. Yeah, I agree. I have this thing, uh, ever since I've been in ministry, even at the Hills, I've had this sign uh, just next to my computer: twenty percent is teaching about Jesus, and eighty percent is modeling Him in your life. Mm. Um, That's pretty good. Which is why I'm friends with. Hmm. You know. Yeah. Sounds about right.
0: Certain people. Yeah, uh, that's, yeah. That's, that's nice. The first half of life, you're chasing things that are ultimately you realize this is the wrong wall that my ladder's placed up against. And then the second, like you start to have freedom from that. And I think that's the best you have to offer the world. I read, or, yeah. or I heard uh, Lauren Daigle quote someone who told her that true freedom is allowing people to misunderstand you. And mm. the first half, wow! In the, yeah, first half of life, there's no way I could be okay with someone misunderstanding me, and I no. would feel like, no, 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 let me tell you exactly. Second half, it's like you know, it. I can be faithful to who I need to be and what I've been called to, and mm. and the lane that I am in. But uh, it's it's okay if uh, if you don't get me, and that's,
1: I think that's what freedom looks like. Boy, that's helpful. Yeah. I'm in a season where I feel misunderstood a lot, and. That's actually a really helpful line. Thank you, Lauren Daigle.
0: Yeah. Well, thank you, Josh Graves, for retweeting that or somehow showing me that on <laughs> online. Anyway, yeah, true freedom. That's that. Um, uh, as we wrap up, we also had the Henry Nowen book, which I mean, speaking of people who help you get to true freedom,
1: Henry Nowen, he's yeah. just always suit super- and downward mobility, right? Yeah. I. You know, in the name of Jesus, by the way, uh, was the name of that book that you guys were talking about with the the temptation story and leadership. It's called In the Name of Jesus. I never knew that he gave that originally as a lecture with a mentally handicapped person standing there from his home. That makes you read the book totally differently. Um, um, You know what uh, I mean? But
0: all of his writing, when you know that's what he's doing, that's where he was going, that was his... His ultimate, and even yeah. if he was writing stuff before he went to uh, to, run a, to Toronto uh, to be part of that community, it goes, yeah, I, I get it, I get it, and so much respect for people like that who, just as your uh, reminder tells us, eighty percent is modeling Christ, and you
1: know, and wrote a lot of good stuff, but most of it is he modeled it well. What he did, yeah, because yeah, think about, I was thinking about that during your podcast. Think about all the theologians that are on the same level as him, who have written the same amount of books with the same le- uh, level of academic scholarship, and but his stands out mm-hmm. because he made his life his argument. Yep. Yep. And again, and then... I, I will also... S- no, go ahead. But, you go ahead. But
0: you also tie it back to the Jeremy Courtney question of, oh, well, that's just something he can do. I can't do the same thing. The point that now or or Shane Claiborne or, you know, Jeremy Corney or whoever is trying to say is, this is what it looks like for me. It, it, it's not going to look the same for everyone, but you you all have the invitation to take this. Take the next right step. Yep, there you go.
1: Yeah, take the next step. Um, at the end of that podcast, your friend Jason quoted G.K. Chesterton, oh. orthodoxy, and he, he. I kid you not, when you you were saying something that made the end of orthodoxy come up, and I, I thought, that's what that, and then he said it, and I was Oh, I've got to get to know this guy. And then he was like, and uh, Jesus held back uh, his, I can't remember the word he used, and I was like, mirth, mirth. I was like, it's mirth. Uh, I just would love to get to know Jason. Maybe we could just get you out of the way of being the middleman and... (laughs) strike up a blossoming friendship mm, okay yeah we'll uh notre dame he's gonna be catholic he's gonna love Chester. we'll
0: uh we'll let the audience decide if, uh, if there's ever a time that i'm too ill and i am not able to do a wrap-up if they want to hear uh a storm uh, J combination jay storm uh jay and storm i don't know what we call that but um if
1: we'll see we'll pray about it we call it magic that's what we call it <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay, Jonathan, this podcast will actually be released after you and I get together and spend a few days uh, together in person. What, what do you assume will be the biggest blessing of getting to see me in, those, in that time that you've already spent with me by the time this episode airs?
1: <laughs> the biggest blessing of getting to spend time with you... Will be. Oh... Uh, it's so hard to, to there's so many, mm-hmm. it's so hard to choose, okay. you know, you're just such a, you're just blessed to be a blessing. That's true. That's about right. You just sprinkle blessings everywhere you go.
0: Maybe what I could do is I could show you my copy of Richard Beck's book, which we will be discussing oh, next God. month on the pod. You're so awful. You're so awful. Okay. Truth be told, they haven't sent me I, uh, an actual hard copy of it yet. I have a digital copy that he sent me like six months ago, so I don't even have one yet. Sorry. I need to be honest.
1: Yeah, mine is pre-ordered, so I'll get mine when the rest of the commoners get it. <laughs> you know what's terrible is I saw... That's the difference of... Yeah. You know, well... That's the difference when working at Highland. <laughs>
0: hey, but you know what... I, <laughs> working at PV. You know what, at PV, I bet you get a lot of free, like, uh, feed for the pigs and um, Kubota... I was taking a drink of water, man. (laughs) So well-timed. That's great. I did
1: not see that coming. You think? Oh, that's good. You know, we're in a capital city. We're in Little Rock. It's not like... Oh, you're so bad. It's not like this is farm town. Although, listen to this, man. Listen to this. So uh, so I live in Saline County, uh, Little Rocks in Pulaski County, but I live in the house I grew up in right next to my brother, who's a salty 52-year-old Marine. And in Saline County, it is very different than Pulaski County. The Saline County Fair was happening a couple weeks ago, and I was going to take our family, but since we got five kids, I asked my brother, Curtis, if he would come with me, and his first response was, I've been banned for life from the Saline County Fair. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you have no idea how bad you have to be to get banned from life from the Saline County Fair. Like, I have seen, you know, plenty of people not wearing their shirts at the Saline County Fair before. It is just mm. not, you don't get banned from it. Wow, that is, that's that that's, that's Arkansas Corner for you. In, in Saline County, you would get paid by pig feed, yes. Mm-hmm. Pulaski, not so Well,
0: much. that's that's our most recent ep, uh, edition of the uh, Arkansas Corner brought to you by Saline County's own <laughs> Jonathan
1: Stormont. Thank you. All right, man. That's funny. All right, man. See you next week. Right,
0: no, it's like, it, this is released. We have to pretend like we already were together. You should say, it was good seeing you oh, last week. Oh, it was great. Yeah, it was, it was
1: great seeing you last week. Was-
0: Thanks for checking out Newsworthy with Norisworthy. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. You are now adjourned.